0: I still remember it like it was yesterday. He sent two of us to go get him a donkey, and that's what he rode victoriously. Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, and people started covering the path into the city with palm branches. Some of them even took off their cloaks and started covering the road with those, as if the ground was unworthy to be walked on by him. There was a huge crowd all around and they were all shouting Hosanna to the son of David and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and Hosanna in the highest heaven. Once we actually got into the city, people were asking, who is this? All the crowds answered in a big voice, Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. One of the most vivid memories I have, however, is of the religious leaders the city shouting for joy that their Savior had come and is making his triumphal entry. The religious leaders stood there with grimaces on their faces, arms crossed, and whispered to each other as he entered. You could just tell that their power had gotten to them, give them comfort and status and pride, and they had so much stake and identity in those things that when Jesus came, they were clearly disturbed. But the crowds were so joyful There was a stark contrast between the people of the city and the powerful of the city. Jesus had made his statement by his entrance to Jerusalem that he was bringing a new kingdom. But I wonder who the crowd really thought Jesus was at the time? A military leader? A new political leader? Who did they think he would be? What did they think he was going to do? And yet, days later, Jesus would go to the cross. People would know then what Jesus did with all the power he had that day.
1: We're surrounded by it. We grew up with it, so we're used to it. But when it first came on the scene, people were terrified by it. What I'm talking about is electricity. Have you ever realized what you're surrounded with all the time? I mean, we got lights, we got sound systems, you'll turn on your car, your house is full of a power that can kill you. Have you ever thought of that? Uh, this was uh, driven home to me when my wife and I got our first real apartment together. It was, they'd redone it, it was brand new, and they'd put a new stove in, and we were just moving in, and I was in this kitchen looking around, and, and I placed my hand on the sink, and then I placed my hand on the stove, and a current ran through me. Because some of you know, okay, well, they got the positive and negative backwards on the stove. Really dangerous thing. So, of course, I did it again, just to make sure. (laughs) After two or three times, I said, Whitney, come over, try this. (laughs) Because I didn't have kids, right? So somebody, I don't know. I think she was pregnant at the time, actually. No, um, no, that's terrible. but, um, But that's the thing, isn't it? You only notice those things when they go sideways, when they get misused. When electricity was first in a large way introduced to our country there were articles written there were newspaper people there were people who were convinced it was everything from witchcraft to an incredibly dangerous force that just being around electricity was going to cause sickness to come into your life. When it was brought into the rural parts of the United States during the Great Depression and the dams were built and and all the programs to electrify through the uh, Tennessee River Authority and all those things that happened in the history of our country there are people who absolutely refused to have it in their homes because they were afraid of this power. How do you feel about power? You know, I, I tend to see two extremes when people think about power. They either tend to be someone who feels somewhat entitled to power, and they're really comfortable with power, and they want more power, and, and, and they kind of believe this idea that the power that I have in my life is For me, and about me, and from me, and somehow or another, you know, it's for me. And then the other people say, you know, I don't have any power. Uh, Power is a bad thing. It's just a negative thing. Well, well, today we're going to take an opportunity to look at power, to talk about the power that God has put in each one of our lives. And that's one of the things that's going to surprise you, is that there is a power, an authority, and an influence that God has put in every single person's life. I'm not just talking about spiritual power, though. I'm certainly talking about that. I'm talking about everyday ability to influence, to make change, to improve things, to live better. You have been given power. Now, we're getting ready uh, to to move our way into Easter, and just uh, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. We just heard uh, um, uh, the dramatic reading about Palm Sunday and about Christ coming in to Jerusalem. What we're going to see as we look at the stories of the interactions that that Jesus had with the people who were technically in power is that there was a great power struggle going on. There was a, 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 an eternal power struggle between light and darkness, but there was all kinds of other power struggle. And when we look at the power struggle between different factions who were in and around the story of Jesus, as well as as those who tried to struggle with Jesus, who at the end of the day was the most powerful We're going to learn a lot about how we're supposed to live with the power and the authorities and the influences that God has actually entrusted with us because those are meant to be a gift. Even as we wouldn't want to live without electricity... We wouldn't want to live without power and influence and authority in our society and in our families and all those different things like that. Um, but at the same time, we need to understand they need to be respected and properly used. So, so here's a couple things I want you to understand about power in the Christmas story. A Christmas story. We're going to do Christmas next Christmas. We're going to do Easter this year in a couple weeks. I don't know where that came from. Easter. So here's a couple things about power in Easter. The first thing about uh, power in Easter is that Jesus had all the power and he knew it. The Bible says, on the night that Jesus washed his disciples' feet, the night before he went to death, the Bible said, and Jesus knew that the Father had delivered everything into his hands. And so Jesus was really the only one who had ultimate power there. And he could have at any time said, you know what, I'm just going to start making this about me. You know, he could have said, I'm God after all. But the Bible said he didn't, he didn't grasp his right or his, his equality with God, but instead used his power to serve something greater than himself. And there's great insight in that. Now, the second thing I want you to understand about power and reverence to Easter is that this is what the scriptures say about power. We're going to look at this in just a couple of weeks. It says this. It says, the same power, okay, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. So resurrection power, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is at work in you. Did you hear that? So the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is at work in you. And so here's the deal. God has given you power. Now some of you don't believe that. Some of you have a narrative in your mind that I am powerless. I am swept away on the tides of what happens in life. I don't have any influence. I can't make any change. You don't understand. I'm not in charge of anything anywhere. I don't have power. Well that's one of the things we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to show us and to change in our lives. So. Let's take a look at the story of the, 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 the movement towards Easter. We want to start by looking at a conversation that happens among the religious leaders about Jesus. And what we're going to see is we're going to see what happens when power becomes our God. Power starts controlling us. And this is not just necessarily, you know, big wigs and corporate offices and people who have all the everything, it seems like. This is any time we try to take control. Anytime we try to use the influence, the, the power, the, the ability to make change, we have for ourselves. This can happen when we have a lot or a little. This is what we see in the chief priests. Now, what's going on is that Jesus is getting popular. He's teaching. He's doing miracles. People are listening to him, and that means they were not listening to the religious leaders of the day. And so we see this in John chapter eleven in verse forty-seven. So John chapter eleven, verse forty-seven. Read this. It says, "So the chief priests." And the Pharisees gathered the council. Now, one thing I just want to point out to this to you, uh, because you wouldn't know this unless you knew this. You know, that's a tweetable quote, by the way. <laughs> Pastor said you wouldn't know this unless you know this. Wow! You know, okay? so here's the deal: you wouldn't know this unless you know this. And what, what you wouldn't know is that the chief priests would have been the people who represented the group called the Sadducees okay and 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 the pharisees were another group they were political theological societal groups that spent most of their time fighting each other. They were after the same power. And so these are folks who ordinarily didn't like each other. They despised each other. But because they were so threatened by Jesus, they came together and they called a big council meeting. See the Sadducees represented the people who were in the temple. They controlled the temple. They were close to King Herod, the king of the day. and, And they had solidified power with the Romans. So they were in control of the temple and all the money that could be made in and around the temple. That's one of the reasons jesus was t- tipping over tables when he went to jerusalem the pharisees were a different group they had their power centered in the synagogues and that was the the rural kinds of uh would have been like rural churches and all the the, the ordinary folks would have been following the pharisees so they would have been more of a populist movement and these two movements went head-on all the time and jesus taught a different way from both of them and so here comes jesus on the scene and they're so threatened by that that they get up and end up on the same side because they feel like they have a common enemy. That common enemy is Jesus. Now now this is what they say. It says they got together the council and they said, what are we to do? Okay, so they feel like they need to do something. There's panic. And what I want you to see here in just a minute is that these guys are motivated and, and driven by fear. And I'll show you what they're afraid of in just a minute. He says, For this man performs many signs. Now, at this point of the conversation, don't you just stop and say, And golly, since he can, like, you know, raise people from the dead, maybe we should pay attention to what he's saying. Maybe because he can make blind people see. We should actually look at the scriptures again and see maybe this is someone we've been waiting for. Maybe because, you know, he prophesies and he teaches and he heals and there's just power in what he says. We should pay attention to it. But listen, these folks are so steeped, so steeped in their desire to get power and to keep power and to keep things out of control that that when a miracle shows up before them, they will deny it. They will rationalize it. They will attack it. They will say, oh, that's the devil who's doing it. They did all these different things in Jesus and around Jesus to try to justify their position. I'm glad we don't do that anymore today, right? But we have, like, for instance, politicians who whenever they're created, confronted with a reasonable argument that's different from them, they listen to it with respect and they learn and they develop, right? Not so much. See, that's the thing about power. It has this potential to just, just, just drive us to do silly and actually dangerous things. We'll see that in just a minute. He says he performs many signs, verse 48. If we let him go on like this, do you hear the assumption like that? That there's something we can do. That, that here's the deal, that we have enough power that we can actually uh, uh, stop this Jesus. And of course, Jesus is Jesus, so they're not going to stop him. And this is a movement of God. And one of the things that power in our life will do, the legitimate power that God has given us to do good things, to make good things happen, to create things, to build things, one of the things that will do is that when we get so impressed with our own power and we think it actually is for us and comes from us, it will actually fool us into thinking we have more power than we think. It'll actually start getting us to control things that we ought not try to control. And I know none of us do that, but these horrible, simple people in the Bible did. So let's look on. Verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Now, see, that's one of the things they're afraid of. They're afraid of the opinions of people. And one of the worst investments of your power, of your influence, of your abilities, of your talents, is trying to shape the opinions of the people around you. It is an absolute adventure in folly. If there's one thing you can't control, it's what other people are going to think and what they're going to say and what they'll say to your face and the other thing they'll say when you're not there and they're not talking to your face. And so, when you become super concerned about people's opinion and popularity, then what you're trying to protect is your status, is your image, and, and that's what these guys are at. says, everyone will believe in him. It says, and then they go on to say, and then the Romans. Let me tell you about the Romans. So, here's the deal with the Romans. The Romans had conquered the, the land that they had lived in, and the Romans had set up this puppet King Herod, and he had allowed these these Sadducees to continue to run the temple, and their whole thing was, listen, you guys can run your own land as long as you do two things. You need to pay taxes. That's why taxes such a big deal in the scriptures. You need to pay taxes. The only thing you need to do is you need to keep the peace. If you don't do those two things, well, then we're not going to be happy. We're going to come take it away. And so now what we're going to see what they're really afraid of, they're afraid that the people won't like them anymore. And they invest an enormous amount of energy in that. I know we don't do that, but, but they did that what people think, and what people are going to say, and all that stuff we can't control. The other thing is they're afraid of some earthly thing, and for them it's the Romans. So the Romans are going to come in, and they're going to take away from us. See, they have more fear of the Romans than they do of God. They have more belief in the power of the Romans than they do and the power of God. And when we start believing like that, well, then we're willing to take shortcuts, we're willing to do terrible things, we're willing to say things we don't believe, and ultimately it becomes a very dangerous thing. He says the Romans will come, look at this, and this is so important, and will take away both our place and our nation. Now, here's the thing. Their place would have been The temple. He'll come take away the temple. And the temple where the Sadducees and the Pharisees, this is the place where it gives us our identity. It's who we are. It's what makes us important. And if they come and take away our place, then who will we be? We won't know who we are. And the other thing they're going to say, they're going to come take away our nation. And for them, that would have been the privileged position. This is In, in, the, in the Greek language here, it, sh- it shows up and be complicated. So I won't, I won't bore you with it. But basically this idea of nationhood was the idea that we have a position, that we matter, that this is what makes me significant. And so their identity, their security what makes their life matter their meaning is the fact that we have a position and we have a place and we sure don't want this Jesus coming in and we don't want him taking that away and so we become afraid of him and now we've got to absolutely stop him now let me just say something about position and place Jesus will come in your life and he will totally mess up your position and place because most of us are satisfied with a temporary position an earthly position that in eternity is really not that impressive. You see, you don't understand, I'm CEO. And eternity people are gonna go, eh? And uh, you don't understand. I'm president of everything. Eh? I'm captain of the team. Eh? You know, I'm I'm most known, eh? I'm most 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 likely to succeed, eh? In eternity, other things are going to understand say, Say, say that so Jesus will come and he'll mess that up. And then he'll come and he'll mess up your, not just your position, but also mess up your place. That is to say, this thing where you get your security, you get your meaning, you get your identity, he might threaten that job. He might undo this position that you have and and totally shake the foundation. Because here's the deal. He wants you to see that you have actually been given another eternal position and another eternal place. And when your heart is set on that, well, then you're able to live boldly. You're able to use the power and influence you have for things other than yourself, because you can't lose in Christ your position and your place. See, it frees you to live in a radically different way. Now look what happens in verse 49, because what we see is we see um, the rationalization of the abuse of power. Verse 49, it says, But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better For you, that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather all the children of God who are scattered abroad. And so here's Caiaphas. He's coming and saying, listen, we have the power. We have the responsibility. And if we're going to protect our position and our place, what well, that means is we've got to use our power to do these terrible things. We've got to figure out how to kill this guy. Because if we don't kill this guy, then the whole nation is going to be lost. That's when we start taking on delusions of grandeur. That it's all about me. That if I don't do it, God's plan is going to be off. God's, 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 God's work is going to be thrown off. It's just amazing that no one said, hey, we're priests. You know, we're, we're people who believe in God. And here's the deal. You look back at the history of, of everything we've studied in the Old Testament about the people of God, and there were times that looked pretty grim, but it seemed to me that God always came through, and His plan always worked out. Remember, One of them would have said, hey, remember when we studied Esther? And it looked so bad for Esther and for Mordecai, and how they trusted God, and God's plan just worked out? Maybe we could look at that. And you see, that's the thing. Powerful people, truly powerful people, understand their power comes from God. And we'll see more of that. Look what they did in verse 53. It said, so from that day on, they made plans. So this is intentional. This is premeditated. They made plans to put Jesus to death. Verse 54. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to a region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. And so this is the point that Jesus falls back. And now the next time he's really going to go up into Jerusalem is Palm Sunday that time when he goes up knowing that he's going to lay down his life in the most powerful expression of anything that's ever happened, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, in this, this example of broken leadership, of, of selfish leadership, of leadership that's about using what I have to protect me, my position, my place, those few people who are around me, we see the broken picture of what leadership looks like, of what power looks like, of what influence looks like. The better view, the better understanding is that the influence you've been given, the power you've been given has actually been entrusted to you by God. See, this is an issue of stewardship. This is an issue of recognizing that something has been given to me to work not for me, but to work for the common good, for work for the purposes of God. And so we are entrusted and we are empowered, and the main thing we're supposed to do with that is to empower others. To serve others, to help other people become great, and that causes us to redeem broken things. And so when we understand that the power that we've been given is a power to empower others and to redeem others, it changes everything. So several observations about power, that just to to say them. The first is, is that we need to understand that the power we have comes from God. Power comes from God, but we also need to understand that the other side of it is that power, and particularly control, and the myth of control, that we can actually control things we can't, actually can become a god. It can become what we live for. It can become our sense of security. It can become the most important thing. What do I need to do to protect my position and my place? What do I need to do to just play it safe for me? As long as I'm covered, I might do a couple things on the fringes, but if God ever calls me, take a big step, a step to really follow him, to really use my influence to do amazing things for him, well, then then that's just not something I'm going to do because I trust in my ability to keep myself safe, my position and my place. Second observation about power is that power can be a source of great good, but abuse of power can be a source of great evil. And so this is just a word, a just, just balance, that, that some people want to say power is bad, should have nothing to do with it. Other people say, no, no, power is what we live for. In between that is the understanding that power is like electricity. When it's used well, it becomes a wonderful gift. None of us would want to live without electricity anymore. We like our air conditioning and our refrigerators way too much for that. But, but, but at the same time, we understand that you need to have just safety around this thing of electricity. In the same way, power <coughs> is a gift from God. Influence. Listen, in, in just there's some of you who need to hear this today. Some of you were created to have a lot of power. Some of you were created to have a lot of influence. You were people who God has gifted in that way. You're kind of created to be in charge of some stuff. And maybe one of the reasons you aren't in charge of more stuff is you got burned before... And so you're saying, you know what, I'm never going to do that again. And so now you're playing it safe. Others of you, you know what, whenever you get power because of insecurity, because you make it about you, it becomes a toxic thing so people aren't entrusting you. Some, sometimes we take what we've been given and we hide it. So, some of us are called to to do something, to lead in some way, to to branch out in some some. A, a way of service, whether it be leading a group or leading a ministry or, or doing something at work and we play it safe because because we say, oh my gosh, uh, I, 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 I would have to risk my position and I would have to risk my place. But when we come back and we ask God, say, God, if you're calling me to do this, I just have to believe that since power comes from you, this power, this this leadership, this influence, you're gonna give me what I need to do the things rather than play it safe. You know, Jesus told a story about this one time. He said, there was a guy who went on a trip and he had three servants and he gave each one of them a certain amount of money. He gave one a bunch, another one, not a bunch, as much of a bunch, and then another guy just gave a little bit. And they had the idea that he kind of knew something about the third servant because the third servant looked at what he got. And he said, here's the deal. I am scared to death. What if I lose what I've got? What if I lose what I got? And What if I get in trouble? You know, what if something happened? What will people say? You know, what I mean? I'm just going to bury this. And some of you have gifts and talents. Some of you have abilities that out of fear, you're burying. And then the master came back. He dug it up, and he said, here's what you got. He said, you know, I knew you were a hard man. I knew you were a guy who, you know, expect big things, and so I just played it safe. And, and, and the owner, the, the guy who, who, who was the master said, you wicked and lazy servant. Said so you should have at least deposited it in the bank, and then we would have at least got interest. Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. God expects you to use what you've been given. He's been expecting you. He expects you to do your, use your gifts, your leadership, your power, your influence to do something bigger beyond yourself, because he is the source of it, and he entrusts it to us. Here's another observation about power. Power is a gift God has given all, but few realize or embrace the power they have been given. You have power in your life. Now, again, some of you are saying, you don't understand, Paul. I'm not in charge of anything. Being in charge is actually one of the least powerful things. How many times have you been in an environment where the person who was in charge actually wasn't in charge? Some of you are parents, right? Yeah, uh uh-huh. You've seen that, right? There are other things that make you powerful. I just got a little list of things that, that maybe you don't realize, but these make you powerful because they cause your influence to go up and your ability to lead to go up. So here, here's some things. Uh, you have influence, you have authority, you have position. All those things are, are issues of power, but you also have resources. Some of you have wealth, and simply having wealth creates an opportunity for you to be powerful and you to do good. Some of you have backgrounds from certain things that that I I was in the military or had this background or had this experience, and that experience brought to the table can be used powerfully. You know, one of the great things that we have been given as Americans is we have our citizenship as Americans. That is a trust given to us, and, and when we use that to influence, Some of you have been called, you know, to, to go into the public sector, to serve in that way. And listen, we need some people who will serve in the public sector who understands that those positions are actually given by God and they're meant to be used for the common good. That's a powerful thing. Here, here's something you never thought of, perhaps. Um, appearance and physique can make you powerful. So if you're an attractive person, you can use that. People will be drawn to you. God could use that. Sometimes people who are, like, tall don't realize that that can actually make you have influence in ways you never thought before. If you are an articulate person, if you can lay down an argument or you can bring something forward or you have the ability to say things to people that brings life into them, that's powerful. If you are non articulate person, but you have the ability to write, you can blog, you can write, and God can use those, those abilities. Sometimes just being a good example in a bad environment is a powerful, powerful thing that God will use to give you influence with other people. Uh, other times it's the relationships we have. Some of you are just very well connected and you have people and if you would just simply invite them, help them, encourage them, you could influence them to good things. Intelligence is just something that God can use that can make you powerful. Education is something that God can use. A creative person has the ability to step in at the right time and say, what about this or this solution or this thing? You know, in the most amazing ways, a most amazing way. Some of you have expertise and skills that are just powerful. I gave this message last night and, and one of the people came up to me afterwards and he talked about a business that he had and he, he just described the exact expertise skill he had that made him crucial in that business, this very successful business. And he basically said, I really wasn't good at anything else, but because I was able to do this, I was, he said, cheaply, I guess I was powerful in that place. I said, yeah, you had influence, and, and it was a huge blessing in that way. So, so experience, expertise, uh, experiences that you've had, confidence that you display confidence not in yourself but confidence in god that causes people to follow you to 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 be a person of influence a good attitude self-disciplines convictions of faith these are all things that God can use. Now, now, there have been other things in the history of our country that have been misused um, to create power that we need, to, we need to undo. There have been times when, when gender has been used in a way that was inappropriate in establishing power or race. But, but we're, we want to be a, a nation beyond that that, that, that empowers all people um, to live powerfully. Sometimes you have family that makes you powerful. If you are a self-aware growing person, an emotionally mature person, if you have the ability to teach or to develop other people to do the things that you do Oh my gosh, you have the amazing ability to be a leader. Things like kindness and love in a world of hate, these become incredibly powerful things. Look, look at Mother Teresa. She's known as a person of love, and she has given messages to presidents and rulers of nations about how they should live An and incredible ability. And, and, and it's not because this little frail nun you know, was so incredibly strong or had any position at all. She just lived an example of love and that became powerful. See, you have power. One of the things we're going to discover even as we get closer to Easter is that Jesus Christ filled, he, he filled his disciples and he offers the disciples the Holy Spirit. So the same spirit that is in Christ Jesus works in you and he works in all these different things, your creativity, your talents, your abilities, and he makes that a powerful thing when our life is submitted to him. And so power is a gift that God has given to all people. Let me make another observation. It's simply this. That power seen as a privilege creates entitlement. This is when it really gets dangerous. That if you are a person who's been given power and you have a position, you feel entitled to this. So I made this. I created this. This is from me. Listen, everything you have has been given by God. And so when you take that humility and say, you know what? This is not something I made. This is not something I have a right to. This is something I've been entrusted to. Okay, God, what do you want me to do with it? What do you want me to do with my education? What do you want me to do with my experience? What do you do with my, my talents, my gifts, my everything? What do you want me to do to use this powerfully for the things that you've created me to do? But when we see it as an entitlement, we start protecting our position in place. We start using our power to keep our power, which at the end of the day, we can't keep anyway. We live for temporary things rather than eternal things. When we said, another observation to make is power on the other side of this. When power is seen as a responsibility, it leads to service. When we say, okay, I've been given this, I've been entrusted with this, I'm supposed to use this. I'm supposed to use it for the things of God in the most wonderful way. One, other, one last uh, um, um, observation, just to say it, is that power is a deceiver and power can be addictive. That is to say that, that if you get control and fool yourself to think you're in control... Well, well, you can just want more and more, and it can become a terrible, horrible place. So, so as followers of Christ, what are we supposed to do with a message like this? Well, well I want to challenge you to a couple things. First thing I want to challenge you to do is I want you to challenge to grab the Easter devotion. So we just finished up um, um, our time in Esther at the Connection Center. This is free. Just go grab an Easter devotion, and for the next... Uh, three weeks, uh, the weeks, two weeks leading up to Easter, and the week after Easter, we're going to be re- reflecting on the things that we're going to be talking about and moving through the story of Easter and see how different people use what they've been given as part of the Easter story. And one of the things I want to challenge you to do this week is to do a power inventory in your life. That is to say, go and say, okay, what areas of my life are powerful that God could use? You know, I've got a a story that could be told. I've got a a gift that could be used. I've got a talent that, you know, I put up on the shelf. I've got the ability to do something that God would have me to do that I was created to do. And and maybe this week we you know, we turn off the Netflix and we work on that. You know, we spend some time thinking deeply and writing deeply and researching deeply about how God could use the thing I was created to do. And, and, And then what I want to challenge you to do is rediscover your position and your place. This is why we can risk our position and our place for great things for God. Because we have been given a position and place by God. John chapter 1 verse 12. Just listen to this. This is your position. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, what a position, the right to become children of God. That is your position. And that is an eternal position. It's, it's more impressive than any position you could get on earth. The the most profound position is I'm a child of God. Look look what it says about our place, the place where we matter, where there's meaning, the place that can't be taken away. John 14, this is what Jesus said in verse 1. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go and prepare, look at this, a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. And where I am, you will be also. And you know the way that I am going. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So that when we are in Christ, we have been given an eternal position, an eternal place. So anything we lose here is, is nothing compared to what eternity is all about. And so I want to challenge you with that. You know, um, one of the things we're challenging folks to do is to use what they have to get involved with Builders for Christ. So you had to notice that when you came in, there was this sitting on your seat. And uh, this is a card that's going to help people get connected. Because what we recognize is that there's a whole lot of people who want to get connected, but they can't do the week-long thing. Um, there are other options, and we've got a little video just showing you some of the people getting involved and a little bit of instruction. So let's go ahead and listen to this.
2: When you came in today, you received one of these cards. And we are so excited to let you know there are so many different serving opportunities for Builders for Christ this summer. We want to help you find your perfect place to serve. Maybe for you, it totally works for you to take a week of vacation and come and serve alongside the Builders for Christ volunteers. So please do that if that is something that you can do. But we also know for some of you, you just can't take a full week of vacation. But, for example, maybe you have Fridays off each week and you could sign up to come every Friday to serve. We would love for you to be able to do that. Maybe for you, you know that you can't come during the day at all. But you could give one evening a week. So say, for example, you decided that it just worked best for you to come on Mondays. You could be part of our kitchen cleanup team or our construction site cleanup team. This is an availability for groups as well. Maybe your entire group could come and serve together on the night you usually meet. You can sign up on the website. We have a new form for people to fill out with these new options. We also have this card that you can fill out. And what we'll do is have you mark it here today and then we'll give you a call. We'll talk with you and we'll help you find that perfect place to serve with Builders for Christ for this summer. We are so excited for what God's gonna do. We are so excited to be a part of his church and to see his church grow and more and more people have a place to come to know and become like Jesus. Thank you so much. And if you have questions, just email me or call me. I'm here to serve you as we get ready to serve Builders for Christ.
1: So we have somewhere in the neighborhood of about uh, like 250, 200, 250 weeks of people signed up or people signed up in different positions and so it's going really well but here's the deal. A lot of you have said two things to us. Some of you said, I need to get past spring break so I figure out what summer's going to look like then I can sign up and others have said, my situation's a little weird. I need to talk about talk to somebody about how I can serve. Um, and so here's the deal. If you, if you would fill this out, put in the offering or drop it off at the BFC table, it would help us enorm- enormously, you know, and just help us to know. The first one says, I will sign up. I just haven't got around to it yet. The second box says, I want to talk to somebody uh, about how I can serve. And if you were to fill that out and check that, then we'd give you a call and we'd help you find a way that you can plug in. Now, there's a third box where people say, you know, I'm not planning on serving this summer because we do understand that there's some stuff that happens in life. Had some students say, listen, I'm going to be on missions all week this summer, uh, all summer, the, the, all, all, all summer, this summer. And um, others, have, one other fellow said, no, my dad's really sick. And so I just got to invest all my time in my family right now. We totally get that. But just knowing where you're at would help us an awful lot. So if you take some time to fill that out. That's one way, in a, in a big way, in a small way, in a cool way, you could um, use what you have for all of us to come together to do something powerful. I mean, it's absolutely a miracle that this happens every, uh, every, every, every time it happens. Um, one more thing I want to challenge you with in terms of next steps, and that's this thing of baptism. Baptism is a celebration of new life, a broken, powerless person who is dead in their sins, buried just like uh, put under water, buried just like Christ was buried, and a new person who is full of the Holy Spirit, risen to newness of life. So we're going to do that on Easter Sunday. And so if baptism class is your next step, there's a step that you can take as well. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. And as I pray, the team's going to come out, and they're going to lead us in a song um, that is a celebration of our identity, a celebration of the, the position that we have been given. We have no longer slaves, you know, powerless, but we are people who are, are powerfully built up in the love of God um, to live um, powerful lives. And that's one of the things we want to discover this Easter season. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much that while we were still sinners, while we were powerless, Christ Jesus came. And when Christ Jesus came, Father God, he um, broke the power of sin. He brought freedom and salvation. And you've given those who believe in him a position in place as children of God with an eternal home in heaven. And that frees us from all the pulls of this earth. Now we're free to use what we have been entrusted with for the things that are about you. So Father, teach us to be people who live powerfully. I want to pray, Father, for any person here who may be addicted to power and feel entitled to power. And because of that, it's destroying their relationships. It's making them lonely. They're investing everything they have in keeping themselves safe. Father God, I just pray that you break that bond in their life. And Father, just help them to see that they're really only secure in you. Father, I pray for the person who's here and they just are convinced they have no power. They feel powerless. Uh, they, they just do not understand the power of God in their life. I pray over these next couple of weeks, they will begin to discover that in Christ, they are powerful and that God, you've entrusted them with things that they could use to influence, to just do great things. And so Father, I just pray that all of us be challenged, all of us be changed, and we lift all of this up in Jesus' name, amen.